raising up our children and discipling them in the ways of the gospel is the most important thing in this life. That's what we're called to do, to invest in them, to love them and lead them and point them to Jesus and show them how to lead other people to Him. We have to be intentional about passing on our faith to our kids and our youth, because if we don't, we're going to end up with a generation that doesn't know the Lord. This happened after Joshua died. We're told the next generation grew up and didn't know who God was and didn't know about what he had done. Somehow these families and this faith community failed to realize the importance of sharing their faith with their kids. Young children are so open and available to the gospel. I can't imagine not capturing this time and teaching them and pouring into them the good news of Christ so that that would be the foundation that they go forward as they get older. I wonder what it would look like if everyone played their part in passing this torch. What would it look like if everyone was involved in loving and training and guiding our children in the ways of the Lord? I just imagine this odd moment when Jesus says to his apostles, you will be my witnesses, and they have the realization, it's up to us. If we don't pass along the gospel to others, they won't hear it. And now here we are today, generations and generations later, and it's our turn to have the realization, it's up to us. The next generation will not hear the gospel if we don't pass it along to them. The gospel has been entrusted to us to help the next generation grow and what it means to be a Christian. And without our ability to share the gospel with this next generation, where will they learn? How will they know who Jesus is? How will they know how to handle the issues of life as a follower of Jesus? Because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They were created by a God who absolutely loves them. And they're given the gifts and the talents and the abilities to glorify Him and do wonderful things with their life. The gospel is the core of who we are. It is essential that we pass it on. Good morning. All right, so how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? Um, Going to the Grand Canyon is something that's profound. I mean, it really is breathtaking to stand there and just take in one of these amazing things in this creation that God has given us. So I want you to imagine there's a man who goes to the Grand Canyon. In fact, this man is a professional photographer. And so he goes to the Grand Canyon. He takes in the wonder of it, the beauty of it. He's just in awe of what he's seeing. He takes a lot of great pictures of it because he's a professional. Comes home and he starts getting the pictures developed. And at one point he's in a conversation with his sister. And he asks her if she's ever been to the Grand Canyon. And she says, no, I never have. And he just thinks that this is a tragedy. And and so he takes his best picture that he took while he was at the Grand Canyon. He blows it up to to make it just a huge, beautiful picture, brings it over to to her house as a gift to her. And she's just, she's in awe. She says, thank you so much. This is amazing. And and it's this beautiful, large picture. It takes up her, her entire living room wall so that she can just look at it and look at this beautiful picture of the Grand Canyon. And then later that week, she has a friend over. And as they're engaged in conversation, she asks her friend, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? And her friend says, no. And she says, well, I've got to show you something. And so she brings her into the living room and she shows her this giant picture of the Grand Canyon that's just beautifully and professionally done. And her friend is in amazement of this. And she says, oh my goodness, I wish I saw, I I wish I had a picture like that. And so she takes out her phone 
kind of moves back and she says, is, is it okay if I do this? I, I just, I want to take a picture of this so that I have this captured for myself and turns her, si- her iPhone sideways and takes a picture of that beautiful po- photograph of the Grand Canyon. And that friend is actually a college professor. And so later that week, she's lecturing in front of 100 students. And at one point, she thinks it's going to be helpful to mention the Grand Canyon. She asks her students, have any of you been to the Grand Canyon? And not a single hand goes up. And she says, well, let me show you something. And she projects onto the screen her picture of the picture of the Grand Canyon. And the students ooh and ah over this. In fact, one of them is so taken by it that he takes out his phone and says, I'm just going to capture, I want to capture the projection of the picture of the picture of the Grand Canyon. Now, some of you might see where this is going. With each picture, what happens? It gets less and less effective. When you're there, your breath is taken away. If you have a really great picture, it's never going to quite capture it, but, but you can get a good sense of it. With each picture, you've moved further and further away from the reality. Now, now here's why I want to bring a clarification, because some of you might be thinking, well, well he's using this illustration because this is kind of where we are today. We're not the original apostles. We're not there when Jesus is doing this stuff. So what we have 2,000 years later is sort of a picture of a picture of a picture. And I just want to warn, that is not what I'm saying at all. In fact, that is not true. And it's not true for at least two reasons. Reason number one is we don't just have a giant game of telephone that's happened that's brought us to our point of faith. We have the words written by the apostles who witnessed what Jesus did. We don't just have a picture of a picture. We have the words of the men who were there. That's reason number one. And reason number two is this. We're not living with a picture of a picture of a picture today. Because the same living God who raised Jesus from the dead is the God at work in us and around us today. The same Holy Spirit who led the apostles to write these words and to do miraculous signs is the same Holy Spirit alive in us today. We don't have a picture of a picture of a picture. We have the real thing. So so here's the point of the Grand Canyon illustration. This is a warning of what can happen if we don't actively pass along the gospel to the next generation. You could have a very similar setup. You could have the setup where the first generation is a generation that knows the Lord. They know Jesus. They're devoted to Jesus. They order their lives in a way that says, Jesus is what's most important in my life. I'll take risks for him. I'll be generous for him. I'll I'll forgive because he asked me to forgive. I am utterly devoted to Jesus. That's generation number one. And then if that gospel is not carefully passed along, generation number two can be a generation that cares about Jesus. Not utterly devoted, but we care about Jesus because after all, mom and dad cared about Jesus and they thought Jesus was important. So so we're going to care about Jesus and we're going to show up to church most of the time and and we're going to think that Jesus' words are important. We're not devoted to him. They were devoted to him, but we care about him. And then if the gospel is not passed along, what you most likely are going to get is a generation of people that respect Jesus, that maybe don't even have a, a deep affection in their hearts, but they say, well, Jesus was certainly important and churches are important to our community. And so I'm glad that they're there. I'm glad Jesus lived. I'm glad we have the Bible. I'm glad we have churches. We, we respect Jesus. And if you move on from there, most likely what you get in generation number four is a generation of people that just don't care one way or the other. You move from devoted to caring 
to respecting to indifference. You end up with people who have nothing more than a picture of a picture of a picture of the real thing. This is why, as we kick off our fall this year, we wanted to take time to focus in on the calling that those of us, the calling of those of us who are here today to say it is our turn to make sure we focus our minds and our attention on passing the gospel on. That if we miss a lot of other things in life, that we don't miss this. Because after all, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus, the gospel is meant not only to be embraced, where we experience the forgiveness of God and we experience the Holy Spirit in our lives and we experience the grace and the hope of eternity. It's not simply meant to be embraced, it's also meant to be shared. And we know it's meant to be shared with our coworkers and it's meant to be shared with our neighbors and with our extended family and with the people we go to school with. It's meant to be shared with all those people. But we're missing something if we don't first and foremost say it certainly is meant to be shared with the generation that comes after us and in particular with the members of that generation that have already been entrusted to our care. With the members of that generation who are our children or our grandchildren or our nieces and nephews, the part of that generation who's here at church every week because they are entrusted to the ministry of this people of Life Bible Fellowship Church. Our calling is not just to embrace the gospel personally, but to share it. And certainly a big part of sharing it means we pass it along to the people who come after us. So here's what we're going to do today. We're really going to focus in on one verse. Some of you, if you're new, you might be thinking, how is he going to talk for that long in one verse? Some of you that have been around for a while, you're like, just wait. Um, we're, we're going to go through one verse. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So if you have a Bible, please do open up there because it'll help you to see it in its context. Um, I will bring in some other scriptures to, to kind of reinforce this point. But we're going to walk through one verse out of the last letter that Paul wrote, he wrote to his protege, Timothy, and it's about this whole subject of passing the gospel along. And in a minute, I'll put it up here on the screen so that if you don't have a Bible, you'll still be able to see the verse and we can look at it together. But as we walk through this, what we're gonna see is Paul is gonna tell us something about the gospel. In fact, he's gonna tell us three things about this message of the gospel and how it moves from one generation to the next. So here's a verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And because it's just this one verse, let me read it one more time. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Now, before I kind of break this down and we go through part by part, I just want you to look at this because in this short verse, Paul lays out four generations of recipients of the gospel. He begins by saying, and the things that you have heard me say, Paul is saying generation number one, at least in this passage, is Paul. Paul got the gospel and he passed it along to Timothy. The things you have heard me say to you in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people. There's the third generation, Paul, then Timothy, then the reliable people. But it's not just him entrusting it to reliable people, entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
This in this one verse, you get this vision of how Paul is looking at things. That Paul, and, and most likely here, most scholars agree this is the last letter that he wrote before his martyrdom. That Paul is looking at his life and he's saying, all right, well, I, I did pass the gospel along. I passed it along to Timothy and to Titus and to Priscilla and Aquila and, and to Silas and all these men and women who are part of this gospel work. I passed it along to them. And now I'm calling them to pass it along. But not just to pass it along, but to pass it along to people who will pass it along. This is Paul's vision that Timothy at the end of his life would be able to look and say, I didn't do everything perfectly, but I passed the gospel along and I passed it along to people who are going to pass it along. The vision here is that every generation takes their turn and say, it is now our job to make sure the gospel continues to go out. But, but now we're just going to walk through this. And I want to observe three things about how Paul lays this verse out as, as we go through it part by part. And the first thing I want to point out is that he says the message of the gospel is something that's received. So just look at how he starts. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And this may seem a little bit understated, but, but at least in the beginning here, Paul is reminding Timothy that Timothy is not a Christian because he just came up with a great idea. Timothy wasn't just hanging around his friends, talking about philosophy, coming up with theories about God and the universe, and came upon this whole idea of the gospel. He's saying, Timothy, you have the gospel because you heard me say it to you. Paul passed it along to Timothy. Every person who has the gospel is somebody who has received the gospel, not somebody that came up with a grand idea. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but, but you can even think right now to think, well, why, why is it that I've embraced the gospel today? Was it because of your parents? Was it because of some teacher? Was it because of an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent? And I, I think there probably is in each service, there's going to be that odd person that's like, nobody talked to me about it. I just found a Bible and read it. So I didn't receive it. I just found it out for myself. No, you received it because countless men and women wrote this down and distributed it all over the world so that we can have this Bible that we have today. We're all recipients of the gospel. In fact, let me read you. I'm going to read just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because Paul talks about this exact idea. He begins 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you would have believed in vain. Now, let me just pause here. Now, let me read what he says in verse three. He says to the Corinthians, hey, you all didn't get the gospel because you're just brilliant people who came up with a great idea. You received it from me. Verse three, he says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Don't make any, uh, uh, don't make any mistake. Paul is not under the illusion that the gospel is his gospel. He says, you received it from me, but I passed on to you what I received. And by the way, if you don't know the story, if you want to go back and read about how Paul received the gospel, you can read Acts chapter 9. Paul was ardently opposed to the spread of the message of Jesus. He wasn't just sitting around saying, I think this Jesus thing is good. I'm going to make a whole message out of it. He was persecuting Jews who had become Christians. 
And on the road to Damascus, where he was going to do more of this, the risen Jesus Christ met him and turned him around. Paul received the gospel, and that's the only reason why he's in the family. And then he passed along the gospel to others who received it, and that's the only reason why they're in the family. When we receive the gospel, we, we're receiving the core message of what God has done. The core of the gospel is not that you've done something in response to God. The core of the gospel is that God did something through Jesus, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the sacrifice for our sins to die in our place, that he was buried, that this was historical, and that he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, people saw that he was raised from the dead, that all of this happened, that all of this is something that God did. And because he did that, we get to receive a message that gives us the forgiveness of sins, that gives us hope for the future, that gives us eternal life, that gives us adoption into the family of God. Now, here's what I want us to do right now. I want us just to pause and ask a question and think back. Because obviously in this message, we're zeroing in on on thinking about our calling to pass this gospel along to the next generation. So I'm going to take a quick survey. How many of you, as you look back on your elementary school years, how many of you could say that there was some adult other than your parents during your elementary school years that had a significant impact on your faith in Jesus? If that's true of you, go ahead and raise your hand. Certainly is true of me. Now, let me extend it out because maybe for some of you, you didn't start coming around until kind of junior high or high school or that was a significant time for you. So, so now I'm going to ask, it, let's extend it out from, from elementary school to junior high and high school also. If there was some adult other than a parent who had a significant impact, some youth leader or some small group leader that had a big impact on your faith in Jesus, if that's true of you, go ahead and raise your hand. Once again, a whole bunch of us. When I was in, I, I was in a church that was a little bit smaller than this when I was growing up. And so I had the same uh, Sunday school teacher from fourth through sixth grade. It was Mrs. Spence. And I know I'm 40 years old right now, still Mrs. Spence. And, uh, and she, she was just, she was a really passionate lady. And while I couldn't lay out for you sort of like the scope and sequence of all that she taught us over those three years, one of the things that stood out most is that she not only reinforced what was taught in the Bible, but she reinforced to us the reality that there were Christians who were currently living and in the past who had lived, who had loved Jesus so much that it had cost them something dear. She told us the stories about Jim Elliott and Nate Sait and the other missionaries who went down to South America in 1950s and reached out to the Wadani tribal people down there and reached out to them in a way that was so profound that they ended up being martyred. They lost their lives for their faith. And after they lost their lives for their faith, their their widows and their children remained on with the Wadani people and showed the gospel to them in such a profound way that the entire community was transformed. She told us stories about Christians who around the world, even in that time, were meeting in secret were carrying around portions of the Bible because that's all that they could get their hands on and how preciously they treated it. She told us about believers in Jesus whose faith was costing them something because she was teaching us not only these things happened in the past, but that as we walk the narrow road, it will cost us to follow Jesus. Think right now into how different your life would be if that Sunday school teacher if that small group leader, if that youth leader had not seen fit to use their time to pass the gospel along 
to the next generation. There'd be a very different dynamic in this room. Paul says the gospel is received. You don't just come up with it. You don't just pick it up. It's received and it's typically received through one generation passing it down to the next. But he's going to tell us that it's not only something that's received, but that the gospel is then entrusted. And so here you go. So he starts out, all right, the things that you've heard me say, that's the gospel. The gospel that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. Or just some of your translations might have entrust to trustworthy people or to faithful people. So the whole idea here is, all right, you're you're entrusting this to people who are going to place their faith in this message, but also to people who are going to be trustworthy in living it out and passing it along afterwards. Now, there can be a temptation here to say, well, what Paul is really talking about is he's really talking about the fact that we need more pastors in the next generation and more elders and more missionaries in the next generation, which is true. And there is an element to this where Paul is telling Timothy, hey, train up the next generation of pastors and leaders and missionaries. But there's also a sense in this whole idea of it being entrusted is universal, that it's entrusted to every single one of us. It is entrusted right now to our generation of believers. And this is just a biblical reality, Old Testament and New Testament. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses is speaking to the people about the truths of God and the commands of God, he lays out, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he says... Teach these commands to your children. He doesn't say, make sure to bring your children to temple and then pass it off and your job is done. He says, every Israelite, it is your job to be part of passing this along. And similarly, in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, parents, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the fear and the training of of the Lord. He doesn't simply say, don't exasperate your children, take them to church, drop them off, they'll take it from there. He says, it's your job. It's your calling. Now, later on, we're really going to zero in and focus on the calling of the church community within this, because there's a big calling for the church community within this. Just like, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about false teachers, and I tried to make very clear from Jesus' words, it is your job to make sure that you are not deceived. It is your calling. You don't just say, well, go to church, and I'm sure they'll tell me everything that's right. It is your job. And at the same time, if you are trying to keep from being deceived, you are foolish if you don't involve yourself in the community of God. You're foolish if you look at it and say, well, it's my job to grow, so I'm just going to read my Bible on my own and pray on my own, and church is just sort of an optional activity. You're foolish if you do that. You need the body of Christ. In a similar way, if you're a parent, it is your job to train up your kids. It's your job to get them reading the Bible, to get them praying, to, to answer questions with them. But also, you are being foolish if you are not modeling for them what it's like to be part of the community of God's people. Now, let me just say one other thing. I might be preaching to the choir. You guys are like, hey, we're the ones who are here. You should be talking to the people who aren't here. Maybe, but you're here, so I'm going to talk to you. Your kids are very unlikely to take church more seriously than you do. So if what your kids pick up is, we go to church when there's not something else going on they're very unlikely to see the gospel as something that is central and vital to our lives. And this is so striking. When you think of this idea of being entrusted, this is where it really gets a little bit scary for us, where we say, we're it. We are the generation now. Just like those first apostles. And I know we can kind of romanticize the people in the Bible. 
Well, when Jesus is speaking to the 11 remaining apostles and he says, you will be my witnesses, there is no way that every single one of them wasn't thinking, us? And if you think, no, they were ready to go, read the gospels. These guys were knuckleheads. These guys were constantly messing up. We, we, we can't glorify these people. I can't imagine that every single one of them wasn't thinking, it, it all depends on us. And you may think that today. You, you might look around and say, us? It's up to us? Just like as a parent, sometimes you have that moment, and you probably have before, where your kid, especially as the kids get older, they might ask you a question that you're like, oh, that's not an easy one. They're like, well, if God's so loving, what about hell? And you're like, I'm the only one here to answer. Like, wait, what am I supposed to do? It's up to me to somehow communicate this to them. This is where we are right now. It is our calling right now. We are the people God has placed to make sure that we pass the gospel along and that our kids aren't simply left with a picture of a picture of a picture. It is our calling. The gospel has been entrusted to us. And then finally, as he rounds it out, the message of the gospel is self-perpetuating. He not only says to Timothy, I've passed it along to you, and he not only says to Timothy, entrusted to reliable people, but then he says, entrusted to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. This is going to keep going. It's sort of like when Jesus says to to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. So he's speaking to disciples and he's saying, as disciples, you go and make disciples. And presumably then, what would those disciples do? They would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples, and here we are generations later. This is self-perpetuating. Your calling, our calling as a church, is not simply to pass the gospel along to the next generation, but to pass the gospel along to the next generation in a way that will equip them to pass the gospel along to the next generation. And just as an escape route, some of you might be looking at that, and you, you might be saying, well, he says who will be qualified to teach others. That's good, I'm out. That's for the pastors, that's for the elders, that's for the small group leaders, that's for the extroverts, that's for the people that are up front, qualified to teach others. Let me just tell you that this word qualified, it can be translated in several ways. Um, But the two most basic ways what this word means, it's two things. The first thing that it means is able. You might look at qualified and say, I don't have a seminary degree, I haven't read the Bible. Able. In case you're saying, I'm not able, you are able. You are able to communicate the truths of the gospel to the next generation. And the other, and this is a weird way to talk about it, the other way this is sometimes translated would be something like entrusted to reliable people who will be enough to teach others, who will be sufficient to teach others. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. There will be scholars that God raises up in each generation and missionaries and pastors and elders that God raises up in each generation. God is not necessarily calling you to do that. God is calling, calling you to be enough. He's qual- calling you to be sufficient to pass the gospel along to the next generation, who will be able to pass the gospel along to the next generation. Because how tragic if what we left our kids was simply a picture or a picture of a picture and all they had to pass along to their kids was a picture of a picture of a picture. Our calling is not to show the next generation a picture of what God can do in their lives. Our calling is to get in the car and take the next generation to the Grand Canyon. 
Our calling is to make it so that they see it for themselves, so that they see the reality lives out in, their, in, in our lives, and they then live out their reality in their own lives. We want them to experience the real thing. And what we're going to do here in the next part of this service is we're going to talk practically about how we are seeking to do this as a church. So I'm going to invite Lori Baez, our Life Kids director, to go ahead and join me up here. We're going to have a conversation about this. Um, now, as she's coming, let, let me just kind of give a, a little bit of background for that. First of all, Lori, about six years, you've been on staff here? Yeah, six six years. years. Dramatically beating the odds of the normal tenure of a children's <laughs> ministry director. So can you give her a hand? <laughs> and, and here's the second thing, just before we get started with this. Some of you might be saying like, oh, I know where this is going. This is going towards a pitch to get involved in children's ministry. And, you're not, and you're not wrong. <laughs> that absolutely is. We, we, we feel like it would be negligent for us to talk about this subject and not also talk practically about how all of us play our part in this. So that is coming. We're not ashamed of it. So if you're saying, oh, I know where this is going, you're right. That is part of where this is going. Um, but, but let's just talk together. So you now have been on staff here for a while. What I'd love um, for you to share is, what is your hope for a child? Let's say there's a child that, that sort of goes up through the ranks of life kids, you know, kind of the young through the, through the sixth grade. What is your hope for what they come away with as they move through the ranks of life kids? My hope for anyone that, that goes through the ranks here is to truly build a foundation of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want them to be able to start out learning that as they get older, growing that, um, receiving the Lord, and then building that relationship so that when they go out and they're in junior high and they're in high school, my hope is that they have a solid structure and foundation to be able to navigate themselves through life when there's big, hard decisions that are out there that they have to make, that they have that core foundation. Absolutely. Now, yeah. now a, a number of you assist in different ways with life kids or you have kids, so you probably have some idea of what's going on, but probably a lot of you don't necessarily know a lot of what we do. So for the person in here, especially that's thinking, well, you know, they, they get a bunch of parents to go and press play on VeggieTales so that the kids are entertained while we do the real thing. Um, just sort of walk through what the kids experience on a typical Sunday and, and how we've ordered the Life Kids ministry to do those things, to lay that foundation. Yeah, so every Sunday morning, our goal is to try to touch the different elements that you guys experience on a Sunday morning. So there's a large community time where they have worship. And um, it's really important as they get older, I don't want them to just go in there and be like, here we go, we're singing right? We want them to know who they're worshiping, why they're worshiping, how to worship in different ways and not just through singing. Um, but then also there is a story time, which is the lesson based on a few of the verses that we're going to be focusing on for that day. Um, and then they break into small group. Now, this is where I feel like it is so important because I don't want them just to know about the story. I don't want them to be like, yeah, David and Goliath, that was awesome. Right? I want them to be able to go and talk about how they can apply that to their lives, how they can learn about that and apply it to their lives. And that happens in the small group time. And it can be through games or uh, crafts or different fun activities, but that's where um, that core application gets applied. Yeah. Well, one of the, I know one of the joys that you get to have is you get to see 
the different ways that the Life Kids ministry impacts these kids yeah. over the course of time. So just with us, you, you've, you've come up with a couple of stories to share with us about things that you've got to see. So why don't you go ahead and share with us a couple of the times that you saw some of the kids that God has entrusted to us impacted by the workers who worked with them. Sure. So the first story I have is about a young girl that was in our ministry, and it was during small group time. There was prayer time, uh, and the leader was asking if any of the kids had things that they wanted to pray for. And uh, this uh, young girl asked for prayer for her mom. Her mom was really sick and needed help. And um, so they did that. They, They prayed, but it didn't just stop there. That leader, when it was time to pick up kids, um, and their dad came, reached out, and said, you know, we're so sorry, we're understanding that this is a really hard time for you, can we pray for you? But that developed over time, and it ended up being where we were able to provide some meals and additional help. There were kids in the classroom that also got concerned about this and would make cards and and try and encourage this family as they were going through. Um, And see, I get the chills just talking about it. Um, It was truly one of those times where you could see the love of Jesus Christ being played out, not only in the children that were in the class, but for this family, for the leaders, for everyone. Yeah. And, and just before you tell the other story, you paused because you knew I was going to say something yeah. at this part. Well, <laughs> some of you know, part of my story is that when I was nine years old, my dad became paralyzed from the neck down and is still in a wheelchair to this day. And some people, when they hear that, ask me, well, when you were a kid, did you get mad at God? Like, did you go through a period of time that you were mad at God? It kind of struck me because I, when I was first asked, I said, well, no. And that seems weird because most people do go through that. But, but I'm convinced that the reason why that didn't happen is because our church community during that period of crisis so came around us and so took care of us that it was never a question in my mind if God was still with us. And you, you got to witness the church community doing that for this family. Yeah. That's going to mark her. Yes, absolutely. Um, and they are still here and uh, the kids are still involved in, in helping life kids in different ways as well. So that's really awesome too. So um, the second story that I have is actually about a young man that had come here. He was having a really hard time and his grandma and grandpa were caring for him at the time. And so they were bringing him on Sunday mornings and he happened to be able to go to VBS that year. Um, And when he went, he had a great time, made some connections with a couple of the high schoolers that were there. Um, And really... I honestly thought that's where the story kind of stopped until this year. Um, the grandmother reached out to me again and said, you know, my grandson really wants to be involved in VBS. Is there any way he can help out? And I was like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. And she's like, I need you to understand why he wants to help. It's not just because he wants to hang out with, with his friends and it's kind of the fun thing to do. He was so impacted by the time when he got to come to VBS with the high schoolers helping him that he wants to come back and be that person for another child that is at VBS. And that's why he wanted to be a part of it. And um, you just look at that and you think, for an instance, there might be that one moment that you don't think is really that big of a deal, right? And then you see several years later how the impact is, and now he wants to play it forward and be that for somebody else. Which yeah, is, and it's so, I mean, yeah. that's, it's like that's the vision right there. <laughs> that, that he, as a young man, is still a junior high or high schooler, right. is wanting to be part of passing it along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, well, again, as we've talked about this, there certainly is application for the things that we've talked about for all of us who are parents. 
But, but let's talk specifically. This is our church community. God has entrusted kids to us. We want to be faithful there. What, what are the core ways that people can be a part of the Life Kids ministry and help us to do what we believe God's called us to do? Um, really, one of the biggest things for us is the small group time. Um, and there's other elements. Please don't mistake me. There's a lot of ways that you can get involved in Life Kids. But the small group time is where we need the most volunteers, the most hands. And it's also where you get down to building that relationship, making those connections, and really having that impact. When you have someone that is consistent, regularly there that can build those, that's where it happens. I mean, there's a big difference between trying to teach 30 kids and sitting down and talking with 10 to 12 kids big difference between the two. Um, and it takes a lot of hands because we've got a lot of kids. We do. <laughs> yes. It's all of your fault. No, I'm just kidding. No, but, but it is something where we've talked lately about saying God is entrusting more and more kids to us. And that really is how, how those of us who are in leadership view it. That These kids are entrusted to our care as a church community and we don't want to miss it. We could miss a lot of things. We don't want to miss it in no, this area. We don't. We absolutely yeah. don't. So, so here's what I want to say. On the, on the way in, either on your seat or kind of in front of you, in the, in the slot on your seat in front of you, there's a little card that's real simple, that, that's something that you can fill out to become involved in Life Kids. So here's what I want to say. It's, it's about a month and a half until the next transition where we will really need a whole new crop of volunteers for this, a whole new group of, if you're here on Friday night, ministry partners on this as we get more involved. This is not, being involved in children's ministry is not just sort of the side gig while the real ministry goes on. This is the front lines of passing the gospel along. So I want to invite all of you to seriously consider what part is God calling you to play? You heard the main plea, man, we need those small group leaders because when we don't have enough volunteers, that's the casualty. That's what gets lost in this time. Consider how God is calling you to be involved in what we as a church community are doing to pass the gospel along. And if you fill out that card, you can just drop it in the offering box on the way out. You can come, Lori's going to be outside at a table. You can come find her or find one of us that has a name badge on and we'll make sure to get it in the right place. Uh, But I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand now. So as we close our service, I'm going to pray for us in this regard. Um, And then after I'm done praying, just sort of as a benediction over us, I'm going to once again read our verse as our marching orders, as God's sending us out to do what he's called us to do. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you would see fit um, to entrust us with passing along the gospel and we, we confess, I, I would just assume many of us feel like that is a daunting task and we question whether we're the right people for it. But we trust your sovereignty and we trust the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. We trust that you've placed us in this place at this time for a divine purpose. And we can miss a lot of things, but we do not want to miss passing this gospel along to the children who are part of this church community. Lead us embolden us. Father, humble us so that we don't let our pride or our selfishness get in the way of all of us doing our part for what you've called us to do in this generation. We pray that even right now, Father, you would be raising up men and women who will be missionaries, 
who will be pastors and elders, who will be Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, who will be men and women who at their school and at their place of work reach out with the gospel and pass it along to others. Father, do your work powerfully so that your light continues to shine in each generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish, let me just read this verse again. Uh, Once again, sort of as God's calling for us, as our marching orders. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday here.